Evans. Jen and Greg Evans, put your hands up. Yeah, they're making preparations to go to Indonesia. They're here today. They're going to be gone the next two weeks. Am I right? You're going to be gone the next two weeks. But you guys have some, uh, some info and some Indonesia-like packets and things, some prayer cards. And uh, before you leave today, grab some of those from those people. I think they're going to have them back at one of the red tables before, before the service is over. So on your way out, just grab one. And uh, uh, the Evanses are kind of like Briska. They're, they're of us. And uh, they're beginning this uh, transition out of the United States and into Indonesia. So we have a vested interest in those that are of us. Amen? Yeah, we do. All right. <clears throat> If you want to, uh, open up your Bibles to um, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at some scripture this morning. Once you find Matthew 28, go to uh, verse 16, and, and we're going to hang out in the last four verses of the, of the gospel of Matthew this morning. While you're finding your way, uh, I'll give a little context for what I want to talk about this morning, um, especially because these are incredibly famous words of Jesus here. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the, the challenge with a passage like this is that it's actually so known. Uh, the challenge of a passage like this is that, is that we come to it and it's, uh, it's like stained glass, you know? In, in the annals of church history, these are incredibly famous. Even godless pagans know these words, and... Uh, and so that, that presents something of a challenge to us. It's the challenge of familiarity. And, and so there's this sense that sometimes happens with passage, passages like this. We come to it with the assumption that, oh yeah, I've already been there. I've done that. I know it. And so it kind of sets up and crystallizes and becomes stained glass. And we just, we want to avoid that this morning if we can. Um, because what I want to talk to us about this morning specifically is I want to talk about presence this morning. Um, I can't really get away from it. I've been talking about it all year long. And the reason is, is because we here at the Vineyard, uh, I can't speak for the whole church. I know it should be the whole church. I can only speak for us in the purple walls here. But we here at the Vineyard, we're, 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 we are what I like to call presence people. Uh, presence with a C and not a T. Um, some of y'all missed that. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a present person too. It's, it's my love language. But, um, but we're, we're presence here. We're presence people here at the Vineyard. And uh, at the beginning of the year, we, uh, we, started, uh, we started the series, uh, the first year off, this year off with a series of six weeks just talking about the components of our DNA, that, that, that part of our spiritual heritage that's formed and shaped who we are and continues to form and shape who we are. And, uh, and, and presence of God is, is, the, is, the first, is the first and the most primary of those six ingredients that we are here at the Vineyard. It's the thing that most shapes. It's our most precious commodity. It's our, it's our highest value. It's, it, it's the thing that we want to keep in highest view. It's the presence of God. And, and just, you know, you guys have heard me say this, but I can never get over it. When we talk about the presence of God here, we're not talking about a theological construct. We're not talking about, we're not talking about, uh, we're not talking about a statement of faith. We're not talking about we're not talking about dogma. We're not talking necessarily about crossing our T's and dotting our I's. Even though all of those things are good with respect to an understanding of the presence of God. But when we talk about the presence of God here, especially on Sunday mornings when we get together, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the experience of the presence of God. And, and most of us in the room have had that encounter. 
you know, worship is going right along, just like it was this morning. God's here, worship's cruising along, and then something happens at the end of the third song. I don't know if you guys were aware of it, but God came. Now, he's here, but then he came. Y'all were with me. You know, Hannah's singing. I don't know what she's singing. She's singing, you know, you're the only one who's holy or something, but it was, he, he came. And I'm talking about that kind of presence because it's out of that kind of presence that we, uh, that we really find who we are, and it's... Um, Oh, man, that's just where I want to live, you know? And anytime you've tasted the presence of God, uh, you've found that He's good. And, and that's where we want to live. We're, we're talking about that experience of, of the presence of God. I'm, I'm talking about knowing beyond understanding and human intelligence. It's an awareness on the inside that the God of the universe is here. And so that's really what I want to talk about this morning out of these verses. Um, that being said, I want to I ask you guys a question. Did you realize that God never intended that we should live even one day without an awareness of His presence? Y'all, everybody's aware of that? God, God never intended, honestly, this is how it goes, God never intended that we even live an hour without <clears throat> a physical reality and a physical awareness of His presence. I don't know about you guys, but Oftentimes, I might go a day, a week, or, you know, there's even been seasons where there were months that went by, and I didn't really encounter that awareness on that part of me that's most alive, that, that God is near. Here's the other thing that God never intended. God never intended that we would live life alone apart from His supernatural leadership. Did you know that? God never intended that we would live life alone apart from his supernatural leadership really speaks to presence and that's who we are um, combined with that over the past couple of weeks we've been talking about specifically we've been talking about a, a life that's infused with the presence of the holy spirit when we talk about presence of god we're talking about presence of holy spirit and so we've been for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about uh we've been looking at uh, people in the scripture whose lives have been radically infused with, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of times uh, what you'll see in the scripture, it'll be written like this, and the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. When you see that phrase, the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon, that's what I'm talking about when, when, when a person's life has been infused with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we've noticed is this, that anyone whose lives have been infused with the Holy Spirit, anytime the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, that person becomes a radical change agent for the culture that they live in. See, here's the deal. It's actually impossible to be a person who carries Holy Spirit on the inside and has Holy Spirit power on the outside and not become an agent of change. Scripturally speaking, that's an impossibility. Now, we know from going to church that that's an everyday occurrence. You ask someone who in the church, do you know the Lord? Yeah, I know the Lord. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Sure, I have the Holy Spirit. Well, what have you conquered in your life? And the answer will be a long silence more often than not. And I want to tell you that, scripturally speaking, that's an impossibility. It's those who are in, impacted by God, those whose lives have been infused with the presence of God, those are the people who change culture. Man, that's where, I, that's where my heart is living right now. I want, us, I want us to be those people. And it's one of the great things about the ministry of Jesus. In the Old Testament, this infusion of the Holy Spirit, this infusion of the, of the very present, now presence of God was actually very rare. One or two people in an entire generation would have that encounter. But with the ministry of Jesus, everything changed, and Jesus opened up doors that had been locked from eternity. And so we get Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when Holy Spirit comes on everyone. 
If you read Acts chapter 2, one of the best words in Acts chapter 2 that keeps being repeated is all and everyone. It's amazing. He comes on everyone. And so here's the deal. This is God's word to his church. God's word to his church is, I want to give you my Holy Spirit, not so that your meetings can be more entertaining, but so that you guys, you all can be my agents of change for culture. See, that's, that's the purpose of encountering and having Holy Spirit, is so that everyone becomes a change agent for culture. That's a good word. Uh, there's, this, um, there's this phrase that's in at the end. Well, I'm not at the end, but maybe toward the middle of the book of Acts, about Acts chapter 17. I can't remember the verse. But there's this phrase uh, that's in there, and it's, it's pretty much my heart's burning desire. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit falls on everyone. Some years, time, and people go by. We get to Acts chapter 17, and by the time we get to Acts chapter 17, we're looking at, at the spiritual sons and daughters of that initial contact with God in Acts chapter 2. And uh, one of the, one of, there's such a stir that's become, uh, that surrounds these guys who, who are preaching the gospel message. Uh, they, they, they show up in town, and you know, there's sort, sort of some dispute and some trouble. And sort of the town officials, this is the testimony that they have of the Christians. They say, these are the guys who are turning the world upside down. And now they've come here. I strongly recommend that everyone read Acts chapter 17, maybe 16 and 17 to give yourself a little context. But, man, I, I want to tell you guys, my burning heart's desire is that that would be said of us. That everywhere we go, people would be like, oh my gosh, the people who have turned central Kentucky upside down have now come to be among us. That, that we would, and, and here's the cool part about that. The cool part about that is, is that it threatens darkness, you know? We should be those kind of people that, that threaten darkness and, and literally uh, the powers that be, be they human or be they spiritual, take notice of where we go and what we do. And, and now that's, my heart, that's my heart's desire. There's very few churches that I know of anywhere. I haven't heard a testimony really in my entire life of, 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 of men of power, people who hold position. I've never heard anyone say that about a move of God since I've been alive. It happens in Acts chapter 17, and so it's an invitation for us, you know? Anything we read in the Scripture is an invitation for us to experience. And so um, that's where I'm living. I, I want us to be those people who so radically in, in, touch God, who, who so radically carry God, uh, who, who become vessels of the Holy Spirit for, for culture change to the point that, that literally mayors and governors would take notice and say, my goodness, the people who have ruined Campbellsville are now coming to be among us. The same thing happens in Luke chapter 9, by the way. I've said all of that to say, to get to this point, that, man, presence is really important. It's, it's who we are. It, it's my heart's desire that we, that we be those people who, who carry presence. And so what I want to do is I want to I talk to us this morning about a couple of the doorways into, into presence. And it comes from some very famous scripture. Why don't we read this together, if that's all right? Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. And uh, while we read this, I want you to, while we read this, I want you to look for promise, okay? Look for promise. Verse 16. Then Jesus, excuse me, what am I reading here? 
Then Jesus. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. <clears throat> Did we all get the promise there? Everybody, everybody grab a hold of promise. What's the promise in this scripture? The promise is presence, isn't it? The promise is presence. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Before we go any further, let's ask the Lord to come and to tune our hearts to, to his word. That's all right. Father, thanks for your Holy Spirit. Thanks for letting us be together. Thanks for the way you just you sneak up on us. And God, I ask that even now that you'd begin to unlock the scripture for us. God, even now, would you give us the kind of heart and the kind of mind that's receptive to revelation? Father, would you, would you cause every lofty thought and every vain imagination to bow down right now to the name of Jesus. Amen. The promise is a promise of presence. And so what I want to suggest to you is this, that one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible is actually a scripture for, at least in part, for how to live in presence. This is, this is Jesus' roadmap for how to live in presence, Okay. Let's look, uh, we're going to look quickly through uh, verses 16 and 17, and we're going to get a couple, a couple, a little bit of insight, I hope, for living in presence. And the first thing I want to tell you, let's look at verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Stop. What I want to tell you is this, that obedience puts us in a position to counter God. It's just that, it's just, just that simple. Did you notice that? It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. There's something about obedience that positions me to encounter resurrected Jesus. You know, there's, there's, something, there's, a, there's something to be said for smarts. There's something to be said for intelligence. There's something to be said for uh, uh, having a hungry heart. But here's what I want to tell you that trumps all of that. Uh, obedience trumps hunger. Obedience trumps, trumps intelligence. And, and obedience trumps, uh, trumps every, every other sort of ability. There's just something about, ability, uh, about obedience that puts us in a position to be able to encounter resurrected Jesus. Here's one of the things that, that I really love about this, is that beginning here, even before Jesus leaves the planet, the voice of God is changing for his disciples. Um, if, if you want to look up a couple verses, <clears throat> uh, look at uh, verse 8. The men, uh, these are the women who have been to the to the tomb and they've they've met they're going to meet jesus okay so this is what it says it says suddenly the women hurried away from the tomb and they just met this angel afraid and filled with joy and they ran to tell the disciples and suddenly jesus met them greetings he said they came to him clasped his feet and worshiped him then jesus said to them don't be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to galilee where they will see me See, the voice of God is changing to these initial disciples. And one of the things that's happening here is that the voice of God is coming through other people. 
And, and, and so one of the things I want to I point out to us is this, that oftentimes God is speaking, not just in His Scripture, but he's, he's speaking to us in the community that He's planted us in. And so we need to tune our hearts to, to where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, even through those who are around us. And, and, and our ability to hear, hear the Word of the Lord through the people that we live with and through the people that, that God has, has sovereignly planted us with puts us in a position to either obey or not obey, and obedience puts us in a position to meet the resurrected Lord. Look around the room. For a second. Just, you know, humor me. Look around the room. These people are connected to your experience with the Lord. Being able to hear the Lord in these people who are sitting right here affects my experience with the Lord Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I'll tell you one crazier than that. Pagans, the voice of the Lord will oftentimes come through a pagan voice. Sometimes the voice of the Lord will come through, will come through an unbelieving voice of opposition. And, 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 and we need to even have our, our ears tuned to that as well. I don't have time to go into it, but Caiaphas, the high priest, prophesies about Jesus and about how he would die. And so we need to have our, have our ears tuned what the Holy Spirit is doing. But obedience puts me in a position to encounter resurrected Jesus. Then let's look at verse 17. This is a pretty bizarre verse. This is about the 11. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that bonkers? This is the 11. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. And and, and when they've been with Jesus, they've, they've not just seen his works and they've not just heard his words, but Jesus has specifically told them on numerous occasions, I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected. Now, they never understand it, but, but this is a strange thing. So they, they hear him tell the story exactly what's going to happen. Jesus is crucified, put in the tomb, resurrected. They obey the, they obey the women, you know. The, the, the Lord speaks to the women they go and do, they meet the Lord Jesus, they fall at his feet. At least that's what happens in my brain because it seems that's what happens to everyone who gets around resurrected Jesus. They fall at his feet and they worship him. But in the midst of worship, they doubt. Isn't this bizarre? It's like, how can this happen? And, and here's what I love about this. Jesus is not offended. Jesus didn't rebuke anybody there for doubt. Isn't this a bizarre? Jesus accepts worship. And he even accepts worship that contains a bit of doubt here and there. And, and here's what I want to also note as well. That, that the Bible says that they worshipped and some doubted. It, it doesn't say they worshipped and some had unbelief. And I want to tell you that there's, there's a huge difference between out-and-out out unbelief and doubt. See, uh, this, is what I, this is what happens in my mind's eye. They fall at the Lord Jesus' feet because he's resurrected. Their hearts are alive. And while they're on, his, while they're on their faces at his feet, Somewhere between Jesus, you're awesome, and there's no one like you, there's that little voice, and probably in the back of their heads, that says, this is too good to be true. This can't be real. And so there was a little bit of doubt in there. But Jesus wasn't offended by it. <clears throat> he wasn't offended by it at all. And here's the good news for us this morning. I, I learned this from, from our very own Ray Hollenbach. <clears throat> Obedience trumps doubt. You see, see, obedience could keep us from hearing and experiencing the Lord Jesus. Obedience or disobedience could keep us from hearing and experiencing the resurrected Lord Jesus, but doubt can't. Isn't that a good word? That's so good. 
Anybody in here got some doubts sometimes? So do I. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, the, Lord, the, Lord's, the Lord's not offended. Uh, the Lord's not offended uh, by us when we, have that, when we have that heart that somehow goes both ways. You know, Lord, I, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm at your feet and I worship you, but man, I, I still got some doubts. And, and here's the other thing I want to tell you is this, that, that, um, that you can actually worship in spite of your doubts. You know, some of us just get so, so bogged down in, in the way things work. And some of us get so bogged down in, in the nature of the world. And uh, some of us get so heavy burdened with uh, the composition of the kingdom. And doubt becomes such a heavy burden that, that it, it actually robs people uh, from their uh, experience of God and, and from them being able to, to give Jesus what he actually deserves. But what I want to tell you is this, and it's from the scripture, is that doubt uh, doubt is, is no trump card for worship, and in fact, you can worship in spite of your doubts. Uh, I, I'd, I'd even go so far as to say this, that if you're a, a person who struggles with doubt, and, and if you're a, a person who kind of goes back and forth sometimes, the best place for you is at the feet of Jesus in worship. I, I've just found in my own life that, that there's something about encountering the actual Jesus that eventually does away with all doubt. This is how good the Lord is. The Lord's so good that if you have doubts, he'll say, well, come, just put your hands on my hand. See, he's really not offended by, he's not offended by what trips us up. He, you know, if you've got a problem, eventually the Lord will come to you and say, well, just put your hand in my side. That's how good the Lord is. And so the best place for a person who, maybe you ex experience doubt, maybe, maybe there's a bit of, of, of crippleness that comes in your own life because of, of fear and doubt. I want to tell you the best place for you is, is at the feet of Jesus, continually experiencing his presence in worship. Because eventually he'll just say, well just, well, just put your hand in my side. Put your hand on my hand. It's funny what offends the Lord. It's even funnier what doesn't, and doubt is not one of them. So obedience trumps doubt. And obedience leads us into encounter and it leads us into uh, being able to hear the words of Jesus. And hearing the words of Jesus leads us into increased revelation and increased counter. The more we hear the words of Jesus, the more revelation we get. And the more revelation that we get from hearing the words of Jesus, the more encounter we get. You see, the, Jesus came to women who had just been at his tomb and says, go get my 11 and bring them to me on a mountain in Galilee. They go to the 11. The 11 hear the word of God in that command and they obey. Their obedience gets them, what? More words from God. More experience with Jesus. Oftentimes, uh, and you can, there's, there's just a little barometer you can do even right now. You can do a little self-check. You know, you can ask yourself, have I experienced the presence of the living God lately? Have, have I heard His voice to me? Not just, not just His universal voice to everyone, not, not, just, uh, not just the stuff about be good and try harder, but have I heard his, his, his specific voice to me lately? And if the answer is no, then you need to go back to the last time you heard the Lord and do what He said. There's something about obedience that leads us into an encounter with Jesus the encounters lead us into the word of God and, and the words of Jesus lead us into, in, to, into greater revelation, into greater 
uh, greater experiences of his word. Uh, it's, it's this circular pattern, and, and it's, it's more, gets you more. It's, it's Jesus' own words. Jesus says this earlier in the Gospels. He says, in, in, in slightly different context, but it's the same principle, because it runs through, it's a universal principle. Jesus told his disciples one time, he says, to the ones that have, they'll get more, and the ones that don't have, even what they don't have will be taken away, taken away from them. And this is a perfect example. People who, who tend to encounter the Lord are the people who continue who tend to encounter the Lord more. And, and when, you, when you get out of that cycle of encountering the Lord, something in you dies, and after a while it becomes okay not to encounter the Lord. And it becomes, and it becomes um, something in you, it's so strange because this has happened to me, something in you dies, it becomes okay not to encounter the Lord, and then we begin to interpret life from a position of not encountering Jesus. And that leads to death. See, in, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they lived in the presence of God. And it was one act of disobedience, one act of living life apart from God, if we can interpret it that way. And what did the one act of living life outside of relationship with God get them? It got them death. See, life is supposed to be partnership with Jesus, and it's supposed to be partnership that comes from encounter and comes from, it comes from hearing His Word. See, if you, if you encounter the Lord, you'll get more. If you don't encounter the Lord, even what you have gets taken away from you. And, and, you know, we all know this, people who are utterly miserable. You know, I've never met an utterly miserable person who lived with encounter. Never met, I've never, I've never met one, one burnout, drug-addicted, truly miserable person who was living from encounter. Never have. Never, never met one rageaholic who was living from a place of encounter. You might be a rageaholic for a little while, but if you encounter the presence, he, he puts his touch on you. Verses 18 through 20. This is where I really wanted to get this morning. Then Jesus came to them and he said, this is the point of the meeting. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, so look at verse 20. We have this amazing promise from Jesus that He's going to be with us always, even to the, to the very end of the age. And it, it's a promise of presence. And um, we, we kind of have to wipe the stained glass, especially off of that promise part of this, of this passage. Because this promise of Jesus is one of those promises that ends up on doilies and it ends up on, on like little plaques at Christian bookstores and stuff. And uh, I, I'm, this, is, this is not an exaggeration. I, I think I've actually encountered this specific promise of Jesus like, like in little plaques, like in some bathrooms on toilets. And this, is, this is the kind of promise that ends up on a plaque sitting on someone's toilet somewhere. You know? It's just that, you know, it's, it's, it's so good, we need to propagate it and put it in our bathrooms. And um, probably some of you have it in your house, sitting on your toilet. Um, but it, it's, one of those, it's one of those promises. So we need to sort of wipe the stained glass off of it and, um, and see... Uh, see what the Lord is trying to say to us 
His, his, I'll just go ahead and make the connection here real quick for us. See, the promise of presence in, in verse 20, it has context. What's the context for promise of presence in verse 20? See, the, the promise of presence in verse 20 has context, and the context is, be my disciple and make disciples. Uh, you could almost say it like this, and, and there's a really strong connotation here. The people who, uh, Jesus is literally saying this, be my disciple, go make disciples, and in that context, I'm with you always. That's a little different, isn't it? The Lord's really good, but he, He's most with us when we're with Him. The Lord's, the Lord's most with us when we're on His mission. The context for His promise of presence, even to the end of the age, is for, is for the disciple who has taken up Jesus' mission seriously and decided that I'm going to be a disciple maker. It's not for the guy who just agrees with the theological construct that Jesus is the Son of God. Can I tell you something? The devils in hell know that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a little bit different. So the promise of presence, the context that it's wrapped in, is be my disciple, go make disciples. When you're on my mission, I am with you. That's the, that's the context here. Jesus begins in, in, in verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me. And this is what authority means. Authority means, it means the right and the power to do something. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, all authority in both heaven and on the earth belongs to me. Now, with respect to that, go and make disciples. And so here's the deal. Disciple making is actually an extension of Jesus' authority in the earth. Being a disciple and going and making disciples is actually, is actually extending the authority of Jesus into the earth. It, it, it's, it comes from a place of, of, of the greatness of God encountering men everywhere. And here's the, thing about, uh, here's the thing about extending the authority of Jesus into the earth. The connection point for extending the authority of Jesus into the earth is obedience. It's for the disciples who hear and obey. They have his presence, they extend his authority. Jesus' claim, and it's a true one by the way, Jesus' claim that all authority and in heaven on it and on earth belongs to him, it, it, it does a couple things. And the main thing it does for me anyway right now is it, it makes his promise of presence even greater. I don't know if you can hear that, but Jesus says to his disciples, he says, all authority, all power, and all right to rule in both heaven and on earth belong to me. There's no one greater. Never has been no coalition of people on the earth, no coalition of, of beings in the spirit is greater than me. All authority belongs to me, and I'm the one who's going to go with you. Isn't that good? So it's not like we have, we, it's not like we have a weak or impotent God who is going to go with us. We have the, we have the all authority God going with us. And so when we're on his mission, it's not that we take meek and mild, eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus with us. Maybe some of you guys have encountered that guy. It may be Ricky Bobby's favorite Jesus, but I want to tell you, if you're on Jesus' mission, you, you need all-powerful, all-authority Jesus with you. And it should be a source of great comfort. And so in view of Jesus' authority and in hope of his promise, you know, we're called to go and make disciples. 
And this is what Jesus is called to go make and make disciples it has with it. It has, it has a little something implied in it. Jesus' call to go and make disciples carries the implication that you should be a disciple. It's kind of hard to make something that you are not, right? Yeah, Jesus' call to go and make disciples is actually a call to first be my disciple. And that's essentially, uh, this is what being a disciple means. It means being a learner, being a student of Jesus. And, and here, here's the attitude that, that we really need to take uh, when it comes to being a disciple and being a student and being a learner of Jesus. Because it's actually super practical. To be a, dis, a disciple or to be a, a student of Jesus means that we take the heart attitude that Jesus actually knows what's best about everything. Not just spiritual matters. Jesus knows what's best about everything. Jesus carries wisdom for everything that I do at all times. This, this helps us become disciples a lot easier. Um, it, it comes with an awareness uh, that, that lets us know that Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived, and he actually knows more about running a doctor's office than anyone in the world. Did you know that Jesus knows more about being a student than anyone in the world? Jesus knows more about cutting hair and running a salon than anyone in the world. Some of you think I'm being silly, but this is actually the truth. This is what it means to be a learner from Jesus. Jesus knows, what, she, Jesus knows more about being a pastor than anyone in the world. You go, oh, well, that's, of course. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows more about selling cars than anyone in the world. He even knows where your keys are. He even knows where your keys are. He, he knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it means to be a teacher more than anyone else in the world. And so one of, the, one, of the, one of the easiest ways for us to begin to encounter uh, an everyday presence of God, one of the best ways for us to begin to encounter this, the real heart, the heart attitude of a, of a student and a learner and a disciple of Jesus is to take on the recognition, to live with an awareness that Jesus knows more about business than anyone in the world. Jesus, Jesus knows more about being a, being a stay-at-home mom than anyone in the world. That's a, that's a great way for us to begin to take on uh, the humility of a, of a servant and the humility of a disciple and, and to practically, not just in some super, you know, super spiritual way, become actual disciples of Jesus and extend his authority into every place that we go. When, when, when I realize that Jesus is actually, when, he, when I realize that he actually knows more about being a stay-at-home mom than anyone else, it causes me to live with an awareness that he knows how to do it best. And when I do it his way, I bring the kingdom. And his authority gets established everywhere I go. When I do business Jesus' way, when I, when I swing the hammer, when I sell the cars, when I sell the vitamins, when I learn, when I teach the way that Jesus does from the perspective of he actually is a teacher and I actually am a learner, I learn from him and his ways naturally extend the kingdom and extend his authority everywhere we go. It's a way to make it practical for us. So in view of Jesus' promise of presence, go make disciples. And, and literally, here's the deal. Making disciples is not about everybody getting into full-time ministry or about a bunch of us getting bullhorns and going and standing out on the corner. It really is about taking, taking what it is that you've received into the place that you're already at. Here, I'd like to suggest one thing to you. Wherever you're at in life, I would like to suggest to you there's a really strong possibility that the Lord has put you there and that he wants you to be the pastor, prophet, 
evangelist, teacher of that location. I wouldn't just like to suggest that. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says to his, his disciples, one time he says, freely you've received, now freely give. And this is, this is Jesus' most basic instruction on how to be a disciple who makes the disciple makers. Jesus tells his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. So here's, here's what disciple making really is. Deci being a disciple is receiving from Jesus. Being a disciple maker is freely giving. It's really just that easy. Being a disciple is freely receiving from the Lord. Being a disciple maker is freely giving. We tend to, and we can only, here's the deal too, we can only give away what we've received. Which is why that whole promise of presence thing is so important. So being a disciple is being a follower of Jesus, and following Jesus is a particular kind of experience. And I want to I outline just a couple, three things real quick about the particular kind of experience. See, being a disciple of Jesus isn't about what we believe as much as it is what we've encountered. And I can never, can't say this enough to, to the church culture we live in. It's not about what we agree or disagree with. It's about what we encounter and what we live. It's about what we've received and what we've given away. And so being Jesus' disciple, you've got to understand, when he's looking at those 11 that are left with him, when he says, go and make disciples, he's talking about a particular kind of disciple. He's not talking about making converts to agree with our doctrine. He's talking about, take people into the encounter you've just had for the last three and a half years with me. And so, and so that, that particular kind of encounter, it, it, it has... It has it has some elements to it, and we can't break them all down this morning, but I want to I talk to you about three uh, elements really, really quickly. The first element of being a disciple of Jesus is that it's a supernatural experience. I want to tell you, if you've walked with the Lord for 35 years and you've not encountered the supernatural Lord, you haven't encountered Jesus yet. Walking with Jesus is supernatural. You can't turn the page without Him healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing the lepers, multiplying bread for 5,000 and then 4,000 people. It's supernatural. You get around the Lord, stuff's going to happen. It's going to be stuff that's going to happen that you can't readily explain. And if you've walked with the Lord for any experience or any extended period of time and the supernatural hasn't shown up in your life, then you might, I would like to suggest potentially that you haven't actually been following the Lord. You've been following doctrine, you've been following dogma, but you actually haven't been following the risen Lord Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus is dynamic, he's alive, and he's supernatural. You've got to watch that guy. Why do we pray for the sick every single Sunday when we get together? Because we know that being around Jesus, stuff's going to happen. We just want to put ourselves in a position to be, that, to be that conduit for stuff to happen. So number one, it's supernatural. Number two, being a disciple of Jesus means constant, constant connection and constant fellowship. Uh, realize this, you have to almost see it in your mind. Jesus is standing before his 11. He says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you in the context of you being my disciple and making disciples. And so when he says that to them, he's talking to people who have been literally with him every single day for the last three and a half years. So to be a disciple is to be, it's to be connected in fellowship and relationship with Jesus. It's not possible 
to be an actual disciple and not encounter him, not hear him, not experience him, not be aware of his presence, to go three, four, five weeks without, without a, 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 an awareness that, the, that God is with me means that at some point along the way I've stepped out of the path of discipleship and I've begun to walk my own course. Walking with Jesus means living with an awareness of his presence. So number one, it's supernatural. Number two, it means living with an awareness of its presence. And then number three, the really unpopular one, it means cross. And, and this is what I mean by that. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot, being, cannot be my disciple. So there's this supernatural element. There's this element of being eternally and forever connected to the Lord every single day, not Sundays, but every day. And then there's this third element that's really unpopular, and it's cross. And what that means is this. Well, first let me tell you what it doesn't mean. We have these sayings, especially these days, well, you know, it's just my cross to bear. And what does that mean when we say that? You know, I'm putting up with crap right now, but, you know, it's my cross to bear. I think, you know, it's okay or whatever. I want to tell you that right now, that when Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me, be my disciple, he's not talking about that. To carry that cross is not to put up with bad stuff in your life. That's not what it is. Carrying cross means laying down my own will and giving my life over to Jesus. That's what carrying cross means. To carry cross means that I'm going to put away the desires of the flesh and I'm going to pick up fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means. It means it literally means abundant life, and it means abundant life uh, uh, according to Jesus. It means, it means my life quit being my own, and, and I belong to another. That's what cross means. And that's where that whole obedience thing comes into play. We become an obedient disciple. We get to encounter the presence of Jesus. We get to hear his words. And in doing so, that's how we pick up cross. So to pick up cross means I've, I've lost my rights. Here's the good news. God is so good that the best place for you is with cross. God's so good that he actually has better intentions for you than you do yourself. God is so good that, that to lose yourself in selflessness actually means that he's looking out for you. I mean, this, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this. You quit looking out for yourself. You pick up his cross. You pick up his value system. I don't even know. I'm trying to look for words here. But you pick up Jesus' kind of life, Jesus' value for the poor. You pick up Jesus' value for the sick and the hurting and the dying. You pick up Jesus' value for husband and wife. And it, when, at the moment you do that, you just picked up what was better for you because you have someone else looking out for you. So when Jesus says, go make, to, go make disciples, he's talking about being a certain kind of disciple and making a certain kind of disciple. Y'all feel the challenge in that? I do. I want to say just a couple things about disciple making and then we'll be done. We've already talked about this just a little bit, but disciple making is not a work of Je it's it's not a work of of, of my own strength. It's, it's it's actually a work of Jesus's authority. It's an extension. It's extending His authority uh, into 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 our everyday life. It's not about my abilities, because those always fall short. Rather, it's extending the greatness of Jesus into our life, into where we work. Within that context, there's, a, there's another little, little thing I'd like to highlight. 
and it's this connection between obedience and faithfulness. And um, it looks like this. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has the disciples, and uh, this is the first time in Matthew chapter 10 that he sends the 12 out, and he gives them these instructions. It goes something like this. It says like this. And Jesus gave them, he's talking to the 12, he gave them power and authority over sickness and disease, and he tells them to go to the lost sheep of Israel and to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. And so the language in Matthew chapter 10 and the, and the language in, in Matthew chapter 28, it's, it's really, really similar. Jesus in Matthew 28 is saying, you know, all authority belongs to me. In Matthew chapter 10, it's more narrative. It says, you know, Jesus gave them, literally, like, I just always imagine that he put his hand in his pocket. And he says, well, here's some power and authority. You know, go do these things. And, and so there's this connection between being obedience and faithfulness uh, and, and, and promotion. Uh, and, and this is what it looks like. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 gives disciples power and authority and says, all right, I want you to go deal with sickness, disease, leprosy, and devils, and I want you to preach good news to the poor. And he, and he tells them specifically, you're to only go to the lost sheep of Israel. But here in Matthew 28, where is he saying to go? He's saying, go into all nations. See, there's, uh, there's, something about, there's something about obedience and faithfulness that, that it's, that's the actual soil that promotion grows into. Uh, a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, especially in, in more, you know, it's everywhere, but we can only speak for who we are. But in more charismatic type churches, especially, there's this, uh, you know, get a little Holy Spirit and you can be a rock star and go on the road and have a pretty good show. Make a darn good living, you know. I, I know some of the people who do this, uh, some of the people who do it really well and some who don't. And, and, and one, of the things, one of the things about this is uh, there's this, you know, inside the church, especially for some people who are maybe called to ministry, there's this thing that can get on us that says, oh man, I'm ready to go to the nations, bam. And, and, and here's, here's Jesus' method for discipling nations. Go to your hometown first. Go to your own people first. I know I've said it a lot of times, but if you don't do it here, you won't do it there. And I can't tell you how many times I've run into missionaries who are absolutely burnt out, dog tired, dead. And the main reason is they never did it at home. They never actually did it Jesus' way. They were, you know, they got this thing in them, which is, is, is partly from the Lord of I'm going to go and change the world. And, and they show up and they show up in some, you know, some country in, in the Middle East or South America and, and they've never had the awareness that I actually never changed anything at home. That's a scary place. So I just, you know, just want to throw that bonus round out there for everyone. Just to let you know, it starts right here. Do it in the purple walls for a while. The next thing you know, the Lord, he'll come along right, right behind you and he'll push you right out the door. And Jesus, when he's telling his disciples to go make disciples of every nation, here's what that means. It means that Jesus has authority for making disciples out of every kind of people. There's not one kind of people that's outside of his influence. And um, so what I want to say about that is, is that uh, uh, the kingdom of God and an obedient disciple carries influence. If you're actually following Jesus, if you've actually let him be your teacher, if you've actually become his student, you've just entered into the kind of life that carries weight and influence. Um, it, it, it's like this. Uh, have you ever been around um, certain people who, uh, who, who have money and who have joy and the husbands love the wives and the wives love the husbands and they're encouragers 
and they're kind of prophetic, and you go over and they're just going to take care of you. You ever been around some people like that? Um, have you ever found yourself tempted to invite yourself to that person's house rather than waiting on an invitation? Yeah, if you're honest, you'll say, yeah. Why? Because the person who's living who's living in that sort of kingdom influence, the person who, who's become a disciple and, and is and making a disciple, they carry the presence of Jesus around with them. And when you carry the presence of Jesus around with them, you find out that you're living an abundant life. And there's just something about abundant life, actual abundant life that's incredibly attractive. Jesus never had a problem getting crowds. And the reason was he, he carried abundant life with him. He carried natural influence with him. So the call to be a disciple is actually the call to have influence. It's actually the call to have influence and be an influencer. And then in verse 20, Jesus says, And I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so it's the promise of his presence. And, and promises are guarantees, and we love, we love guarantees, you know. Um, me, and, uh, me and Amanda and Heather and... And Bobby, we were, we were up really late last night. We were watching the Slap Chop guy, you know? <laughs> you know, and the, Slap Chop, you know, the guy, the, the, the ShamWow. Oh, Vince. Vince. You know, we love guarantees, you know? Uh, I guess we do. All of these infomercials are, you know, they're all somehow linchpinned on the guarantee. Uh, you know, you can't see. Billy Mays is everywhere right now. That guy, his voice. Ah! That Billy, the Oxy Powder guy? Like, you can't turn, he's just shouting about everything, everywhere, you know? But these guys, you know, they do their thing, and, and sort of the linchpin of their, you know, their argument at the end is, you know, the, we're going to make some sort of guarantee. And, you know, we just, we love guarantees, and we want to know that it's going to be great. But I want to tell you that, that Jesus' promise of his, of his presence is more than a guarantee. It's actually a roadmap, and it, it actually lets us know if we're living the discipled life or not. We've already hinted at it a little bit. But for me, for me to, for me to, uh, for me to encounter His presence, it means that I'm, I'm, I'm fully committed, and I carry an awareness of His mission with me everywhere I go. And so, for me to go, uh, you know, a week, three weeks, four, you know, I, I wouldn't get too concerned after a week or two. But if you've, if you've suddenly gone a month, two months, three months, God help you, six months. If you've gone six months and you've not encountered the presence of God, I, you're pretty, I, you can know pretty sure that you, you have somehow jumped off of discipleship road somewhere and it's time to get back on god is not mad but it's just a barometer it's that thing of his presence he says i'll be with you and i'm with you within the context of my mission and you being my disciple who makes disciples so his presence is not just a comfort but it's all it, it's the invisible hand of god that guides us jesus says you know i don't do any of this stuff except that i only do what i see the father doing i only see, i only say what I, I hear the father saying what, he's really, what Jesus is really saying there in John chapter 5 is, I live with an awareness of presence in my life. And presence guides me. So it's more, than a, it's more than a promise of presence. It's more than a guarantee. It's a road map. And so some questions here before we, um, before we wrap it up. You just need to ask yourself, are you experiencing his presence? Not, not, the, not the theological construct of presence, but the actual presence encountering presence how long has it been since you've encountered his presence and then are you willing to adjust that's huge um i want to tell you all a little bit about presence because this some it's kind of a new thing that's happened around our house it's happened twice in the last two months 
Um, two times in the last, two, uh, really it's probably been the last three weeks, three and a half weeks, two times, Heather and I are home, kids are asleep, and uh, we just suddenly become aware that the presence of Jesus is in the house with us. And I can't explain this other than it's so good that I, I just, I just want to just lay down every time it happens. But, but on two different occasions in the past three or four weeks, the, the manifest, physical, tangible, sticky presence of the Lord shows up in our house. And um, it's been such a huge encouragement to me. Uh, we were, Heather and I, we'd got the kids to bed and we, had, um, we were just sitting at our, our, our big coffee table that Bill built for us. And, and, and we're sitting there just drinking some coffee and the TV's off and it's quiet and suddenly she and I both just instantly in the same moment become aware that Jesus just came in the room and, and, and she and I just talked but not too much and for the entire night we didn't turn the TV on for the entire night Jesus just like I don't even know what he did other than put his arm around us and it was so good and then this week I'm, I'm in my house and the kids have gone to bed and it was a particularly chaotic night at the house which isn't uncommon for us and I'm laying on the couch, and I start to read this Jack Deere book, and, I, and I'm just, it, it was just so good, and, and, and Heather was doing something, and she's, then all of a sudden she sits on the couch with me, and we begin to chit-chat about something, and then all of a sudden, I mean, really unexpected, really not spiritual moment, all of a sudden, presence drops in the house. So good. And um, that's, what, that's the way we're supposed to live. I, I'm pushing toward living in that realm all the time, and, and I want to connect this presence uh, to something because I felt like the Lord just connected it for me a little bit um, it, some of you guys know me better than others but for the, the ones who of you who know me you, you know that I'm a um, I'm a bona fide workaholic and I have been pretty much forever and um, and I, I'm connecting this this presence to uh, this increased presence in my house to uh, to me learning to be less of a workaholic I'm getting delivered thanks Lord but uh, about uh, about Three months ago, I started taking a day off. I haven't taken a day off in eight years. I just, I just don't take days off. I work. That's what I do. I like it. It's what I do, you know? And so I've started to kind of like take Wednesdays off. And, uh, and, and the Lord's just showing me that, that, that being his disciple in this one little area, being a disciple, following his kind of life, take a day off, get some rest, turn your brain off, take that Wednesday off, check out for a few hours at him it's actually increased the presence in our home. Now that's just a real practical example from my own life, but that's what it means to be a disciple. You, get, you, get, you become an actual disciple of Jesus. You start walking in his ways. You let him be the student. You let him be the teacher. You become the student. And the next thing you know, presence increases in your life. And, and we're, just, we're walking in a greater realm of presence at my house even now. And it's been really good. One more question, and then we'll be done. Just a little observation I've had. Have you guys uh, ever wondered why, um, why it is that when, when people go on short-term missions trips, they come back so radically changed? You ever, y'all ever wondered why oftentimes a person will leave their church, go on a seven-day mission trip of some sort somewhere, and they'll get so radically changed on those seven days? You ever wondered? Here's why. Because for most of us, most of us, or for a lot of people, the only time that a person ever takes Jesus' command seriously to be a disciple and go make disciples is often on short-term mission trips, and it's met with presence. 
and presence changes people. That's just another little practical example. Why, why do people go on these things? Why do they, it's because, it's because they've, they've just entered into Jesus' actual command, and, and obedience always comes with a reward. And the reward is with his presence, and the reward is so good. Everybody here want more presence in their life? That's what we're going for. Amen. Amen.